Hey, welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it out. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. All right, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, and then we're also going to look at Luke 10. So if you want to put a a mark in that, if you don't have a traditional Bible, you can go to the Welcome Center after, and they'll give you one. We'd love for you to take one. It's our gift to you. But in the meantime, we're not handing those out during this service. I know this is new. Some people are like, where are the people handing out the Bibles? Here's what's the deal. I really want you to use your version or your Bible app because we've already uploaded all the notes and scriptures. And so if you don't have the app, you can scan this code on the screen and it'll take you there. Listen, you don't only need it for Sundays, you need it for your life. There's so much in there that's so good. And so as you could see from that like really cool really kind of ominous, kind of almost felt like horror movie kind of music trailer. We're starting a new series today that we're calling Battle Ready, and I'm going to do the first couple messages in it. Pastor Sonny's going to do one. Pastor Barry's going to do one. Pastor Dallas is going to do some, and I've heard what it is they're going to talk about. So you guys, listen, the content that like I, I really wanted to steal everything that Pastor Barry told me he was going to preach about in his message, uh, but I let him, I let him uh, just stay on that. So I'm really basing the next couple of messages on a scripture found in John 8, 36, where it says, He whom the Son makes free is free indeed. He who the Son makes free is free indeed. And I can't tell you how important I think it is for you guys to be here for the whole series. And Satan's going to do everything he can to try to keep you from doing that because he's a liar. He's a manipulator. He's a deceiver. He's a cheat and he's a thief. And he's desperate for you to not hear this series because he doesn't want to get caught. Because when a thief is caught, he has to restore what he's stolen sevenfold. I'm not making that up. That's scripture. That's Proverbs. So he's going to do everything he can to keep you from hearing this because he's stolen some of your peace, some of your security, some of your hope. He's stolen some of your joy and he doesn't want to get caught because he who the son makes free is free indeed, but most believers aren't free indeed because they don't believe they can indeed be in bondage. But when Jesus makes this declaration in John 8, 36, he's not talking to sinners. He's talking to people who verse 31 says already believed in him. So with that thought in mind, I've preached along these lines uh, uh, plenty of times. We've talked about spiritual warfare plenty of times, but I've never preached a message on what we're going to talk about for the next couple of weeks. I never felt led to until now. In fact, the plan was for me to kick off this series uh, doing a, like one whole message on demons and then uh, next week do a whole nother message on angels. And I may come back and do that at some point, but I wanna spend the next couple weeks talking about whether or not a believer can be in bondage. Can a believer have a demon inside of them? Let's talk about that today with a message that we're calling Under the Influence. Let's pray. God, we love you and we're grateful to you. God, this is the day that you have made, so we will rejoice and we will be glad in it. God, thank you that your spirit was here before we ever thought of it. God, that your presence was here before we ever even got in our car today. 
And so this morning, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be changed, would be less like us and more like you. Protect us. Protect us. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, listen, forewarning. (laughs) This message is less entertaining and it is more educational. There is a lot of theological content in this message. I have never spent longer working on a message than I spent working on this. There is so much theological content. So let me give you a couple of pointers. First of all, all the notes are already in the YouVersion app. Don't listen. Don't waste your time trying to keep up with me with your thumbs. Go back and watch it later. It's, we're going to post it. Take pictures of the screens. Use a, a pen and a paper because you're faster in writing that way. So anyway, lots, lots of theological content. Okay, so let's get to work. Mark chapter 5. We're going to read the whole story. I was just going to read the first part and then the end, but then I thought, no, the story's too good for us to leave any of it out. So we're going to read the whole thing. And then like along the way, I'm going to be like an annoying friend you're trying to tell a story to. You ever have that friend who you're trying to tell a story, their mouth is moving while you're talking, they're interjecting things along the way, they're interrupting. So I'm going to interject things, AKA, I'm going to just interrupt myself throughout the reading of this story because there's some things, listen, you... I, I legitimately wish I had more time. This, this message should have been two, forewarning. The, uh, there's, there's like, there's so much in this story. And some of you have read this story like dozens, like me, you've read it dozens of times. But sometimes, sometimes just slow down. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. This is the city of Gadara. So because it was the city of Gadara, the people who lived there were called the Gadarenes. So so they came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he'd come out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. This is one of the ways that the Bible refers to a demon. And he was dwelling among the tombs. In other words, he lived in a cemetery. And no one could bind him, not even with chains. He'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he pulled the chains apart and had broken the shackles in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he worshipped him. And the word worship here is not so much like we did this morning. I want you to understand that. It is what we did this morning. But the, the word worship here is the Greek word proskuneo. It means to bow down. So when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran, and as Pastor Tony said, he bowed down before him. He, he acknowledged him as his Lord, is what I'm saying. And, and he cried out with a loud voice saying, watch this, what am I to do with you, Jesus? Now, let me say something before I finish verse 7. This is actually the demon talking through the man. And we can determine that because of what he says. And actually, the next verse tells us that Jesus had spoken to him before this. We just did it in reverse order in the writing. Watch this. And he cried out with a loud voice and he said, What am I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you don't torment me. See, see how how that wouldn't possibly have been the man talking because Jesus would not torment a man. This is the demonic spirit talking. 
Then when we get to verse eight, it tells us that Jesus had already said something to him. Watch this. It says, for, he said to him, for is a response word. Some versions actually say he had already said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. So Jesus had, had already told the spirit to come out and the demonic spirit responded. What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please don't torment me. Verse nine. Then he asked him, watch this. This is Jesus. Then he asked him, what's your name? Again, he's not talking to the man. He's talking to the demon that's in the man. And the demon answered, my name is Legion, for we are met, for we, for we are many. My name is Legion. Just to let you know, Legion was a Roman term. It referred to a troop of Roman soldiers. And for a troop to be referred to as a Legion, there had to be at least 6,826 soldiers. And I'm not saying that there were 6,826 demons, but what was happening is the demonic spirit was trying to swell up and instill fear, which I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Fear is not an emotion. It is a spirit. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of a sound mind. So, so it's a spirit which, which, watch this, maybe fear was this legion of demon spokesmen. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Because the demon was saying, listen here, Jack, there's a bunch of us in here. Ain't but one of you. There are about 6,000, 7,000, there's a grip of us in here. What I'm saying is that this guy was demonized. Anyway, he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that Jesus wouldn't send him out of the country because demonic spirits will do everything they can to stay where they already have a stronghold. Now, a herd of swine was feeding near the mountains. So all the demons, not just one this time, not just the initial spokesman, all the demons, can you imagine the sound of all of the demons begging him, saying, send us to the swine that we might enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission that the unclean spirits went out and they entered a swine. There were about 2,000. So we know there were at least 2,000 demons. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned. So those who fed the swine fled and they told everyone in the city and in the country and, and they went out to see what had happened. And then they came to Jesus and they saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion hmm, sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were, watch this, afraid. Huh. You'd have thought when you read it, it would have said, and they were, and they were happy. I'm, I'm gonna hit that in a second. And, and those who saw it told them how it happened, how, how this guy who had been, had been demon possessed, and we're going to define that word possessed today, by the way, and they told them about the swine and they began, watch this, and they began to plead with him. I'm going to kick this pulpit over. And they began to plead with him to depart from their, re not, not they pled with him to start teaching or doing other miracles. They begged Jesus to leave, which makes me wonder, was it the actual people speaking or were those people carrying demons too? And, and, they, hmm, they, and they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who'd been demon possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus didn't permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends, tell them what great things the Lord had done for you and how he'd had compassion on you. 
And he departed and he began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Now, a couple of things here. One, Decapolis isn't a city. Decapolis is 10 cities. Deca is the Greek word for 10, and polis is the Greek word for metroplex or for metropolitan area. It was actually 10 Greek cities. Gadara was one. Damascus was one. Remember, Paul was on his way to Damascus when he was converted, and, and, and he was on his way to capture Christians, perhaps the converts of this demoniac. Philadelphia, not the one in Pennsylvania, the one from the book of Revelation, that was one. I'm saying there was 10 Greek cities, which is probably why they were raising swine, because Jews didn't do that. And, but the Greeks, they had come in and influenced the society and the culture. Where are you being influenced and by who? The culture was under the influence of the Greeks who ushered in demonic spirits. There are other cultures that dabble in de de demonism and they will, they will bring the demonic spirits in through certain things and certain songs and certain poses and certain activities that I don't have time to get into. So, so, th so this guy, he goes and he proclaims what happened, watch this, in all those cities. He was demonized. He was, he was demon-possessed, and he got free. Great story. Uh, but, but there are a couple of things that I want to talk about that I noticed in this story. First, there really are demons. <laughs> Some of y'all need to know that coming up on October 31. There really are. Huh. They're not dudes in rubber masks waiting on a trail where you shouldn't be. There really are demons. We know that not only because Jesus set this man free from them, but because the word demon is in the Bible 82 times. It's actually in the Gospels alone 61. 61 times where Jesus is directly dealing with or talking about demons. And one of the reasons I think it's talked about so much in the Gospels is because no one had ever had authority over demons until Jesus came. But Jesus did. And when he began his ministry, he immediately began confronting demonic strongholds and bondages. No. Uh, demons come from the fallen angels who were a part of Lucifer's rebellion in heaven, okay? It, uh, the Bible says uh, demons are the one-third of the angels who fell with Lucifer. By the way, I'm a math guy. Numbers just immediately add up in my, in my mind. So I had this thought uh, when I was studying for this. I thought, hmm, uh, one-third of the angels fell. Huh. That means two-thirds didn't. It's, that's that's uh, new math. So for every one that's against me, there are two that are for me. <laughs> like, like even if you do math in Canada, that we got them outnumbered two to one is what I'm telling you. And if you're thinking that's not that big of a deal, it's probably because of how demons have been portrayed. It, well, I want to show you a picture. It's probably because from the pictures we've seen, demons look tough. You don't want to play with this fool right here. Imagine a guy with six, I don't even know how they fit, is all I'm saying. The dude must have been tall, like 6,000 six, six of that. Because from the pictures we've seen, demons look tough, but angels, put the next picture up. They look like they should be on a toilet paper package, is all I'm saying. Like demons are monsters and angels are cute. 
But let me just tell you, first of all, demons aren't as tough as you think in Jesus' name. They've got no power in Jesus' name. And, and secondarily, when people saw angels in the Bible, some of them died. They, some of them passed out. They were terrified because of how magnificent the angels were. I mean, listen, when God decides to throw Satan in the pit, the Bible says he doesn't even go and do it himself. Man, he only sends one angel to do it. One. I got an overactive imagination. So I pictured it that Jesus is going to be like, all right, that's it. I've had enough of this fool. Somebody go get Satan and throw him in the pit. And Gabriel might be like, uh, okay, uh, who, do you, who do you want to go, Jesus? And Jesus would be like, man, I don't know. Send a new guy. Just make sure he does it in my name. That's all I'm saying. It's like, so, so demons come from fallen angels. They are disembodied spirits and they're looking for a body. They enter bodies, inhabit bodies. They were in the body of this man. They were not in his soul. They were not in his spirit. And when Jesus cast them out, they begged to go into the swine because they wanted a body. By the way, this backs up my theory that animals can be demon possessed. Cats, you do the math. I'm just saying, notice that they begged to go into pigs. They didn't beg to go into cats. Because even demons don't go. I'm just saying, there ain't no room in a cat because they already were born full of demons. They're just full of demons. They're born full of, I'm just saying that the, the, the animals can be demons. Anyway, there are demons. There's no doubt. Otherwise, we'd have to cut out a lot of the Bible. We'd, we'd have to ignore a lot of Jesus' ministry. And, and there's, you say, well, why are you talking about this? Because there's actually this horrible, heretical line of thought that there weren't really demons, but that Jesus pretended to cast them out because the culture believed in demons when he was here. And listen, it's in a surprising number of religious commentaries. Let me just read you what one commentary says about demon-possessed people. These are persons afflicted with especially severe diseases, either bodily or mentally, whose bodies, now, now watch this heresy, whose bodies, in the opinion of the Jews, demons had entered, and their cure was thought to require the expulsion of the demon, as if they believed it, so Jesus pretended to go along with it. That is a, that is a blatant desecration of the scriptures. Let, let me just read you a couple of scriptures. Matthew 8, 16, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. That's the Bible. It says they were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. Why would it say that he cast them out if they weren't there? Matthew 9, 32, 33. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man mute and demon-possessed, and when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled, saying it was never seen like this in Israel, Matthew 17, 18. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it, and it came out of him and the child was cured that very hour, Mark 13, 14, 15. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that, they might that, that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons, Mark 6, 12 and 13. So they went out and preached that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed them with oil, many who were sick, and they healed them, Mark 16, 17. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues. Let, let me say it this way. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian author, says there are two groups of people Satan loves and gets excited over, the skeptic and the superstitious. 
Let me say it another way. There are people who see a demon behind every bush. They, they are superstitious. Uh, but there are also people who say that demons don't exist and, and, and they never have. They're, they're skeptics. C.S. Lewis says Satan loves them both because they're both in bondage. They're both in deception. There are people who, who uh, when I start talking about demons, they say, oh, oh pastor, let's not talk about that stuff. It's scary. Then there's others who are like, oh, snap. Now we're finally talking about the good stuff. <laughs> if you're in either one of those camps, you need to move to the middle because you're in the wrong camp. We're not skeptics and we're not superstitious. We don't fear them, but they are there. And Jesus came to set us free, but you'll never get free if you don't know that you can be in bondage. So Pastor Jack Hayford, he says it like this. You can't cast out the flesh and you can't disciple the demon. In other words, there are people who say it's just the flesh and you need to learn to overcome your flesh that what you need is discipleship or discipline. That's where we get our word discipleship is from the word discipline. So some people say you just need more discipline in your life. And other people who say, no, you got a demon and it's keeping you from doing this or it's keeping you from doing that. And deliverance is the answer to everything. And here's the age old debate. Do we need discipleship or do we need deliverance? And the answer is yes, because you can't cast out the flesh and you can't disciple a demon. Are y'all following me today? It, like, like it's both. And when I realized that I had demonic bondage in my life, I was saved. I'd even started doing a little bit of ministry, but even though I love the Lord, even, uh, I was still in real bondage to anger and revenge. I had a spirit of revenge upon me. I was in my early 20s, and, and I, had a, I had a mentor, Dr. David, Dr. David Nichols, who started sharing with me about demons and showing me scripture after scripture that proved that demons can take Christians in bondage. And I remember we had ice cream. And I said, wait a minute, because I could see where he was going with it. I said, hold up now. Are you saying I got a demon? And in his very gracious way, he said, oh, you got a whole flock of them. <laughs> and I got so upset, I let my ice cream melt. That's when you know a fat man is mad, when the ice cream <laughs> was gone. Because I just sat there thinking, oh, shoot, I got demons. But let me tell you what happened. The more we went through the word, the more hope I had, because I saw I could be free. This is why, and I'm going to be transparent with you. It's why when I was in my early 20s, I could be standing up preaching and just be getting mad and angry and wanting revenge with the people that I was preaching to. And I thought, this is because I have a spirit, but I don't have to. I can be free of it. So, so listen to me. Don't get upset when I tell you that you could have a problem in this area. You should get excited because the great thing is Jesus is still in the business of setting people free. In... In 25 years of ministry, the only people I've ever seen who can't get free are the people who won't admit they're in bondage. If you'll just admit it, you can get free. So one, there really are demons. Number two, they really do enter people. In John 10, one, Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who doesn't enter the sheepfold, what's a sheepfold? It's where the sheep are. It's where the believers are. He who doesn't enter the sheepfold by the door. What's the door? Jesus is the door. He who doesn't enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way. Climbs up where? Into the sheepfold. 
That's where they're going, by the way, where, where the sheep or the believers are. I'm going to talk about that more next week. The same, the one who climbs into the sheepfold, is a thief and a robber. And from verse 10, we know the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Okay? Okay, here's what he's saying. The thief can get in. He can't get in through him. But he can get in some other way, and he'll do everything he can to get into the sheep some other way. And he does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Some of y'all need to close the doors of your life. Some of y'all need to lock the doors of your life. Some of y'all need to stop playing. Stop acting cute. Stop acting like you don't have some entry point. You got, listen, you got plenty. Man, when COVID was about to happen, I did two things. Bought every gun we could get. I put it in a gun safe here. I don't know why I thought we was going to fight off COVID or the Russians, but I bought every (laughs) gun we could get our hands on. We bought us a gun safe. And I said, if everything goes down, the plan is meet at the church because there's only two entry points. And then my brother Chase Ford said, what about all the skylights? I said, man, shut up, shutting up. Don't be making sense like you were in the military and you know more than me. I'm just saying, some of y'all need to seal the doors. He, he doesn't come except to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, Jesus is saying every time he comes, he's going to steal from you. He's, he's going to destroy everything you've got. He's trying to possess everything you have, to to take over and control everything in your life, which brings up a very interesting question, and it's been debated by theologians for hundreds of years. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Some of y'all are like, that's why I finally, like, you finally got to the thing that I came here for today. Well, let me, let me, let me explain the word by going back to the original language, because demon-possessed is technically one word in the English, it's just hyphenated. But it's actually two words in Greek. Daemonai, which means the word demon, and zomai, which is to possess. So to translate it demon-possessed is okay, but I really think a better translation is demonized. Because translating it demon-possessed becomes challenging since most people haven't been taught what the word possess means in this context. There are two Greek words for possession. One is parapoiesis, that means ownership. But this isn't the word. The word here doesn't communicate ownership. The word zomai is used here. That means to gain mastery over. Now, although mastery would be the exact literal translation, let me give you some synonyms of it. To gain control over. To have power over. This Greek word is used another place in the New Testament that helps it make sense to you. Luke 21, 19. It says, by your patience, this is Jesus, by your, by your patience, watch this, possess your souls. Now, Jesus wouldn't be saying own your souls because he told us to give our souls to him. The Bible says that you were bought with a price. You are not your own. You don't even belong to you. So Jesus wouldn't be saying in the end times, which is what this chapter is talking about, in the end times, you need to own your soul again. He's not saying own your souls. He's saying gain mastery over it, gain control over it. That's what the word possess means. That's what messes us up. So can a Christian be owned by a demon? No. We are owned by God, but, but can a Christian be under the control of a demon? Let me read you a couple other definitions of the word that, that say it pretty well. Uh, in defining demonizomai, 
Thayer's Bible Dictionary says it is to be under the power, mastery, or control of a demon. You can be under the power, the mastery, the control of a demonic spirit in a certain area of your life. Maybe it's lust or unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, gluttony. Lunatic Greek Lexicon says it like this. One cannot speak of a person being possessed by a demon. A more appropriate expression, maybe the person possesses, watch this, or has a demon. In other instances, an idiomatic phrase is employed. The demon rides the person or the demon commands the person. Now, don't raise your hand, please. But let me ask you a question. Is there an area of your life you just can't get the victory in? An area of your life where you feel helpless, powerless. Is there a sin that you've confessed over and over and over and over and over and over and over? I don't have enough time to say enough overs. And you've told God, I'll never do that again, but you keep doing it. Uh, can I say this to you lovingly? Wake up. You're in bondage. Stop saying, well, I have a weakness in that area. You've had that weakness for 20 years. It's not a weakness. You're in bondage. But listen, I'm not telling you bad news. I'm telling you good news because if you're in bondage, I know the one who can set you free. Like Elf said, I know him. I know him. Like, like he can set you free, but he can't set you free if you don't know you're in bondage. Let me give you an illustration I think that'll help. And, 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 uh, let's say that when you came to church today, you left a door or window open in your house. And uh, when you go home, you find that there is a thief in your house. Okay. Very simple question. Does that thief own your house? No, but guess what? He is in your house and he has control over your house until he is arrested and he is taken out in cuffs. But let me tell you what he'll do while he's in there. He will steal, he will kill, and he will destroy. Let me show you some Old Testament types of this. I got so many scriptures on this. I just couldn't put them all in one message, but we've got a whole series to talk about it. So stay with us for the whole series, all right? Let me just show you a few Old Testament types. Lamentations 1.10 says the adversary. Obviously, that represents Satan, our enemy, our adversary. Our, our, he, he has spread his hands all over her. Now, this is talking about Israel, which would be a type of the church. It doesn't replace the church, but it's a type of the church by representing the people of God. He has spread his hand all over her pleasant things. Now watch this. For she, the people of God, the church, has seen that the nations representing the enemy enter her sanctuary, those whom you commanded not to enter your assembly, but they did. They entered. Lamentations 4.12. The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world wouldn't have believed that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. But if you'll go on, you'll see it says, but he did. The enemy, he entered. Joel 2.9. Watch how clear this is. They run to and fro in the city. They, speaking of the swarming locusts that come in and eat everything up. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. Now watch this. They climb into the houses. Not onto the houses. Into the houses. And they enter at the windows like a thief. They, they enter. Now, next week, I think we're going to talk about how to close the doors and windows where they enter. So don't miss that. But let me give you another illustration since I named this message under the influence. If a guy, and let's say he's a Jesus guy. Let's say, let's say he's a believer. He believes in Jesus. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, but, but if he drinks a lot of alcohol, then does something. Does that alcohol own that man? No, he's still owned by God. But is that alcohol 
in that man? Is, is he under the influence of the alcohol he consumed? Yes. And here's what happens many times. He ends up doing something totally out of character that he's ashamed of later. Here's another. If a guy who's a Jesus guy starts looking at pornography, hear me when I say this, you're opening a door to the enemy and he will come in. He's not going to own you, but he will be in you and you'll be under his influence. You'll be under his power. And this guy who's otherwise maybe a really good husband, father or grandfather will end up doing something totally out of character that shocks him and everyone around him that he's ashamed of because he was under the influence of a spirit he opened the door to. Are you following me? Okay, now, listen to me. If you're starting to get depressed, (laughs) don't, because there really are demons. They really do enter people, but here's the third point. Jesus really does cast them out. Now, Luke chapter 10, okay? Luke 10, 17, Jesus had sent the 12 out with power over demons. Then he follows up by sending out 70. And in verse 17, it says, then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, really? No, I'm just kidding. That's not what he said. Here's in essence what he says. He he says, bro, that doesn't impress me. Because here's how he responds. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Like, listen, bro. when When that cat rebelled against my father... He was out quicker than a flash of lightning. Like, I don't think there was some big, long, drawn-out war in heaven. I think Satan rebelled. He had tried to gather troops with him. He had a plan, and God said, psych, you must be true. Like like God had a clapper in heaven, said, and they they was gone. So Jesus said, bro, I'm not impressed by Satan, some created being. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. These are just metaphors, by the way. They're types of shadows. He's referring to demons. The whole conversation is about demons. He said, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this. Notice, you don't need to get excited about this. This isn't the exciting part. Don't rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, and don't get it twisted. Spirits are subject to you in Jesus' name, which, by the way, the word subject here means obedient, submissive slaves. So don't rejoice that the spirits are obedient, submissive slaves to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Come on, somebody. Your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things. Remember the words, these things. I thank you, Father, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the prudent. In other words, the people who think they're smart and you revealed them to these babes, these young disciples, even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. Notice, he said, Father, thank you that you've hidden these things. What were they just talking about? authority over demons. So he said, I know God that the smart people don't believe there are demons, but these precious babes, these young believers, they know, they saw it. They understand that the spirits are subject in your name. And it's amazing to me how many people will say there aren't demons and we don't need to talk about them. I I had a professor in seminary who got saved out of the hippie movement in the seventies. He got saved in the Jesus movement, like the movie Jesus revolution. And and he went directly from that into a strong spirit filled church that understood spiritual warfare. Then he went to a Bible college that understood spiritual warfare. Then he went to the mission field. 
But to go on the mission field, he had to go to language school. And when he went to learn the language, he met some missionaries from another religious background that didn't believe in spiritual warfare. And he was shocked. Like he'd never met anyone that didn't believe in demons because when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's all, it's all through that. Jesus did all kinds of that. So he was shocked and he just kept asking him, like, bro, you don't believe in demons? And they were like, no. And then they gave this long, stupid, I mean, theological answer, why? And, and he was just shocked, so he asked him, so you don't cast demons out of people? They said, no. Then listen to his beautiful, pure response. He said, so do you leave them in? <laughs> do you leave them in? That's great. But can I tell you something? There's really only two choices. Either we leave them in or we cast them out. And I am for the casting them out. Now, you might be starting to feel like, uh-oh, I might have a problem in this area. Okay, again, I don't want you to feel bad about it. So I want to show you one more thing, then we're finished. I promise I'm already over time. We don't have a problem knowing God has the power. But what the enemy does is he focuses us on our weaknesses and our history. He says, man, you can't get free. Other people can get free, but you can't because you got a bondage. You've got a stronghold. You've got a weakness in this area. But can I just remind you the man in Mark 5 where we started, he was demonized by a legion. He lived naked in a cemetery. None of you are as in bondage as this guy. Y'all got your clothes on, so just there you're one up on him. So, so I want to show you something that should give you hope. Verse 6 says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he worshipped him. Here's what I'm trying to show you. Satan doesn't have the power to stop you from coming to Jesus. No matter how many demons are in you, if he could have stopped anybody, he would have stopped that guy. So if you're in bondage, if you have a difficulty, a weakness, an area of sin, you can't stop, you can't break, you're probably in bondage in that area. You're probably under the influence. But no matter how far off you feel, Jesus can set you free. Would you close your eyes all across this place? Now, we're going to do something a little different this week because I think, I think we all have an area of our life uh, where we need freedom. So I asked, I asked the worship team to come back and they're going to do another song. Uh, and, in, and in just a minute, I'm going to, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come to the front or go to the back and have someone who's already been prepped for this to pray with you and for you. Now remember, I said he ran and worshiped him and that word means bow down. So in a minute, you can come to the front or go to the back for prayer, or you can come to the front and go to the back and bow down, or you can just bow down in your seat. But first, maybe, maybe your bondage is you're trapped in sin. Maybe you came here and, and like, this is like quite a first week incidentally, but if maybe you came here and you're like, bro, I'm not even, like, I'm not even on the God team. I'm not, I'm not even in this thing. So we want to give you an opportunity to, before you leave here, become a Jesus person. That's, that's the word that we would use for a believer or a Christian. And it's very simple. Culture is complicated. It is very simple. The Bible says to be saved, to be a Jesus guy or a Jesus girl, you have to do two things, confess and profess. Confess that you've got unrepented sin in your life and profess the fact that you believe Jesus can change that. So this morning, we're going to give you an opportunity to do both of those, okay? 
you're here today and you say, Sean, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm gonna ask you to do two things. First, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand and make eye contact with me. Once you've made eye contact with me, you can put your hand down. That's your act of confession. Secondly, I'm gonna say a few lines in a prayer that I'm gonna pause and I'm gonna ask everybody in here to repeat those words after me. And if you repeat them along with everyone else and you mean it in your heart, the Bible says you will be saved. So if you're here today, you say, Sean, I do not have a relationship with Jesus and I want to get saved before I leave this place with nobody looking around. You raise your hand, make eye contact with me right now. Thanks, 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 thanks. Miss anybody? Thanks, thanks, thanks. Okay, I'm gonna ask everybody in here to say these words. Say, Jesus, I've got sin in my life but I don't want it. Please forgive me. Come into my life, change me, make me different, make me new, be my Lord, be my savior in Jesus name. Amen. Okay. Secondarily, in just a minute, and I'm just giving you a forewarning. It's a good thing you came to early service because I think I'm going to be late for kickoff. Just saying. I'm supposed to be at the stadium at 11.45, it's fine. They'll be fine, they'll win without me. So maybe you're here and you have an area uh, that you've thought was a weakness and you fought it. I don't care what it is. I don't, like Pastor Sonny said, I don't care how small it is, but you've like carried that and you need deliverance from that. I'm gonna ask everybody to keep your eyes closed. Now I know the, the older you get, this is more difficult. I'm gonna ask you to keep your eyes closed, but stand, okay? Like stand. So for me, I might would lose my balance. So I'm gonna ask everybody in here to stand. Everybody in it, like, like not just if you need deliverance. I'm gonna ask everybody in here to stand. We're in uncharted territory for uh, Life Church after 11 years. I'm gonna pray. And and when I say amen, I'm gonna ask the band to kick into another song. And when they start that song, listen to me. If you need deliverance, while I'm praying, I'm gonna ask our, our prayer people to come to the front and go to the back uh, so you don't get lost in the crowd. So if you're here and you need deliverance or prayer, um, when they start to sing or at any point during this song, I'm, I'm gonna ask, this is bold. This is, what did he do? He ran to Jesus and he cried out. And here's what's gonna happen. Listen to me. I'm talking to you friend to friend. Here's what's happening right now. Some of you are fighting the feeling to respond. That's the demon. You need to fight. You need to fight for you. You need to fight for your family. You need to fight for your sanity. You need to fight for your joy, fight for your purity. Listen, if you're in here and you're depressed, that's not an emotion. That's a demonic attack upon you. And we bind that in Jesus' name today. So when they start to sing, I'm gonna ask you just, just slip out. It's fine. The person who you bump past, they probably got an issue too. So anyway, I'm just going to say, the minute that they, I say amen and they start singing, I want you guys to excuse yourself. You can come to the front or go to the back and we're going to pray over you that God would set you free of whatever it is that you carried in here with you, that you came here full, that you're going to leave here without that trash. Jesus, we love you and we're grateful to you. Thank you that you are 
in control. That greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That no weapon formed against us is ever going to prosper. That God, you have given us power. You have given us authority to trample on spirits in Jesus' name right now. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, come to the front or go to the back. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast, Chew on That. The Chew on That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week. Thank you.